Up next, Reverend A.R. Bernard. Pastor Bernard is joining us um, to tell his story about his bout with death, COVID-19. It is a, it is an amazing story where he came close to death, but don't let me tell it. You know, you see his minute of wisdom every weekend on our local and national show. Pastor A.R. Bernard, welcome to the show. Armstrong, it is good to be with you. It is good to be anywhere. It is good to be alive right now after what I've gone through. And I will tell you, to experience it firsthand um, puts it in a totally different light. Uh, I, you know, for three days was experiencing symptoms of fever, uh, a dry cough, uh, aches and pains in my, my body, the chills, and eventually feeling tremors from those chills. Uh, but by Saturday morning, March 28th, I started uh, experiencing shortness of breath. And from everyone that I'd spoken to about this, uh, they said, when that happens, you need to get to the hospital. So I, I called one of my, my sons and I said, okay. Did you at that point before you called your son, did you have a deep feeling that you had COVID-19? No, Armstrong, I didn't because, you know, I have had asthma for 30 years, but it's been controlled, you know, simple medication. And when it gets into this particular season, you know, I can catch a sinus infection and, you know, the symptoms of allergies and, 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 and flu can be so similar, you really don't know. It's not until that shortness of breath came into play that I said, okay, I was familiar because I'd read up on it of the, the symptoms of COVID-19. And I said, okay, I've got too many of the symptoms, too many similarities here, and I need to get into the hospital. And I'm glad that I did. And you called because, your son. Yeah. So he came, he took me to the hospital. And uh, I will tell you, pulling up there was like pulling up to a ghost town. No cars, no people just a series of tents that you have to go through. And I understand all the precautions, but he couldn't come in with me. Usually, you know, you go to the ER, whoever brought you in has to come in with you and fill out papers and all that. None of that, Armstrong. Just one security guy came out and told my son, I'm sorry, you can't come with him. And then he led me into the ER and they immediately brought me to a bed and uh, uh, hooked me up with oxygen because they took um, the, my oxygen levels and I was down to 85. And that's a dangerous place to be, to have your ox blood oxygen levels that low. So they began you know, testing me, taking blood, doing EKG, uh, taking x-rays, et cetera. And um, they determined that I would have to be kept in the hospital uh, in order to monitor how this would play out. And I will tell you, Armstrong, you know, you're, you're in a hospital, but it's not a comfortable place because, you know, the curtains are drawn all around you and there could be someone next to you very ill. And the only distance that separates you is three feet and a curtain. That's it. So you could hear them coughing and hacking, which I did hear, and through an open space in front of me. Uh, I could see people being brought in on a wheel bed, sitting up on strong and taken into a room. And within a half hour to an hour later, that same individual is being wheeled out, but they're not sitting up on strong. They're laying down and a sheet is covering their face. 
So you're surrounded by death. You're surrounded by un uncertainty. Um, they're trying to test to see where you are. And remember, there's, there's, no, there's no cure. There's no vaccine. There's no official treatment for this thing. So the hope is that somehow they'll watch you and your body will fight it off. Um, so they determined to keep me. But it took eight hours before they can get me into a room and out of the ER. You and mentioned that, that hours, you, you huh? mentioned in an earlier conversation, um, this was a Catholic hospital uh, and you had many Catholic nurses. And when you were surrounded by death where people would go in for a half hour and come out later and their, their body was completely covered in white, you noticed on occasion the nuns, or the Catholic nurse would make <clears> the sign the of nurses, the cross. Yeah. Yeah, they're making the sign of the cross, and they're usually doing that because a person has now passed on. And there's no priest to come in to, to give last rites because it's only healthcare workers that are allowed. And they're dressed totally in, in all of the protective gear. So, you know, the gowns, the face masks, and even shields. So, you know, I, I spent eight hours in there, and you're not alone, but you feel lonely. You feel the anxiety. And this virus not only affects the lungs, it can affect the heart, uh, it can affect the brain, it gets into the bloodstream. And uh, I'm experiencing all of these symptoms, Armstrong. And so finally they get me up to a room and it's not like, you know, I'm going into a beautiful room with a view. No, um, the doors are kept closed. You know, you go to a hospital and the doors are open and the nurses and doctors are walking by, but that's not the way it was. It was quarantined. And even around my bed, the curtains were drawn. And, you know, they were coming in and out. Again, more EKGs, more x-rays. And uh, finally, uh, I was blessed to have an incredible nurse. Uh, uh, Randy uh, Stewart is her name. Uh, just compassionate and totally into caregiving. You knew she was sincere. But she was limited in what she could do. I was blessed to have you know, four specialists, two pulmonary specialists, one infectious disease specialist, and also a medical doctor. And uh, they came in and uh, my pulmonary specialist was one of them. And they made a decision, Armstrong, to treat me in uh, unconventional ways. They gave me uh, the treatment of the hydroxychloroquine, which is, uh, was mentioned by the president, and it's actually a drug that's used for malaria. They gave me, along with that, azithromycin, which is uh, an antibiotic. And then they began to, uh, to give me injections of anticoagulants uh, because this, this, this virus was killing people within hours of them coming into the hospital because it would cause blood clots. And those blood clots would immediately go through your lungs and to your heart. So they started giving me anticoagulants to thin my blood to protect against those clots. And I will tell you, Armstrong, after they started the treatment, because it took them a day before they made that decision. And within 36 hours, Armstrong, everything turned around. But it got worse before it got better. Because what happens is you, when you have the full-blown COVID uh, with all of the symptoms, all right, you begin to have hallucinations. So all you feel and see and sense with the anxiety uh, is darkness. 
And I will tell you, Armstrong, it has been it was the darkest place I've ever been in my life. You don't know whether what they're doing is going to work. There's no assurance that you're going to leave that place alive. And you begin to uh, sort of get disoriented and trying to figure out what's real and what's not real, what's reality and what's not reality. Uh, and your mind starts to play tricks on you. You know, I had a, a television set there as a distraction, but most of what was on was the news about, you know, the COVID and, and people dying. So I didn't want to see that. Uh, so, you know, you, 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 you lose your sense of taste. You lose your sense of smell. At least I did because, you know, this thing affects people differently. But I lost my sense of taste, my, my sense of smell. The tip of my tongue was numb. So when it came, I had no appetite, and yet I had to eat in order to help my body fight this off. So whatever I ate, it tastes the same. It tastes bad, you know, and I still push myself through that to try and eat three meals a day. Uh, but I will tell you, Armstrong, it was a very, very dark place. And of course, you know, I had my faith. I, I prayed and, you know, I began to think about you know, darkness and 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 sickness and disease and 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 evil, you know, all of those things on a cosmic level. Here I am experiencing just a fraction of what this could be like in totality. When people say, you know, I've seen evil, you really haven't seen evil. We have no idea. But Jesus Christ did. When he went into that Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Armstrong, and I hope I can speak like this, uh, when he went into that Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and he invited his disciples to pray with him, he faced the darkness. He faced the abyss. He faced the totality of, 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 of human brokenness and, 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 and woundedness. He faced the totality of, of, of all that is ugly and dark and dismal within human society. No wonder he, he had a, a doubt about the plan when he said, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. And he wrestled through that and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You know, it was there before he got to the cross. Once he got to the cross, you know, his mind was already set, but it was in that wrestling. And here I am experiencing just, just a fraction of that abyss, that darkness, and looking into it and staring at it. Uh, I will tell you, Armstrong, I'm, I'm grateful for my faith because I was able to draw strength from it, to, to draw courage, to, to go through this and to abandon myself to providence, to God's control of everything, to his goodness. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's where I was and that's what helped me walk through it. So when you arrived in the hospital, how long was it before they tested you before covid before you got the results? It was, it was two days later that I got the results that I had tested positive for, for COVID-19. Uh, but by that time, I was already experiencing uh, all of the symptoms. It was full blown, you know, and for whatever reason, my asthma never came into play because that would have been a major problem. You know, but it never came into play as they treated me. And, and I will tell you, you know, um, people got on the president for talking about this. 
you know, but he was simply saying that when you get into that position, you're willing to try whatever. And there are people who who could never take uh, hydroxychloroquine because it would it would hurt them in their heart. You know, it has a negative effect on your heart. But I thank God that, you know, I, uh, a good lifestyle, you know, um, you know, keeping myself uh, disciplined in terms of my health, you know, and the prayers of so many people and God's grace and an incredible medical team helped me to be here and have this conversation with you today. So, Pastor, talk about when you realize you would recover, um, seeing your family again for the first time, which seems like almost you were there almost a week, coming out of the hospital and then facing the reality of deaths in your congregation, deaths in relationships that, that people you've known who did not, were not as blessed, as, as fortunate you were to survive COVID-19. I'm strong. You know, you, you, you ask the question, why does this one die? And why do you live? Or why does this one live and the other person die? And, and there is no answer to that. You know, life is filled with mystery. Our faith is filled with mystery. The Bible teaches that we know our knowledge is partial. Our, our, our sight is, is, is blurred and veiled. You know, uh, we don't have all the information. Uh, so I, I, I don't have answers, you know, and I will tell you, um, I, I'll tell you this part because as I got better and still in the hospital, they brought in a healthcare worker who was on the front line who had full blown COVID-19 and put them in the room next to me. And now I'm saying, okay, this is not a good thing. I need to get out of here. And I felt so bad for this gentleman because you know, he had the hacking cough and, and, you know, he sounded like he was going to expire. And I'm saying, okay, am I going to be re-exposed to this? So I, I, I talked to my doctor. I said, doc, you know, I, I've got to get out of here. You know, this is, this is not a good situation for me. And he agreed. So I called a medical supply place uh, that I've done, you know, some work with before for other people and told him, I said, you know, I need to rent a hospital bed uh, and I need it delivered to my home. I need an oxygenator, you know, which creates oxygen. Uh, I need that in my home and uh, a table and whatnot. And we were able to take one of the rooms in my home and quarantine me in that room and put, you know, everything that I needed in that room for the next 14 days that I would have to stay in quarantine. You know, that ended yesterday. So I, I, in doing that Armstrong, I thought about how many people don't have the means, who are not in the position to make a phone call like that, to afford something like that. People who have to get out and go to work no matter what, just to provide for their family. So it gave me an even greater sense of gratitude and, and, you know, I, I practice certain things in terms of financial discipline, and I've taught this over the years, and I've maintained that, that you need to put away in savings at least six months of, of, of your salary so that in case anything ever happens, you could survive, you can take care of your family, you can take care of yourself. I practice those things to this day. I practice those things in ministry as well, you know, because not-for-profits and churches are suffering greatly by the in those who don't have the in a, you know the ability to come together and gather and who are not up to speed on technology to stay connected through live streaming and technology that we're experiencing right now you know 
So it was not just my own health, my concern for my family, the concern that I had for over 40,000 uh, parishioners who were part of our congregation. And then I started getting the reports after I came home, you know, and I don't know if I'm going to fully recover from this. I'm taking it one day at a time, you know, and staying on the medications and following my doctor's orders. And, you know, my wife and I had to be quarantined from each other, along with my grandsons who were in the house, you know. Um, and then I began to get the reports of some of my members who were dying, staff members, members of the congregation, parishioners, people uh, colleagues in ministry, people that I knew in education, you know, so you're, you're hearing all of this and you're praying for them and, and wishing God's best for them. Uh, and you're sorting it through. And I knew that at some point in time, my son had to release the information to my congregation because people were worried and, you know, misinformation gets out there. So people thought I was in ICU, CCU. Thank God that I, I didn't have to go through all of that oxygen sufficed for me, you know, but now I'm, I'm, I'm home and, and, and I'm recovering and I'm dealing with all the people um, who, who are fighting it and I'm getting the messages. Um, so we released some information about me being in the hospital and coming out. And then after a week of quarantine, I was able to do a video interview with my son, uh, practicing social discipline and sharing my experience. And that was our Easter service. And, you know, the feedback that we got, people were very blessed by the transparency, the vulnerability, you know, and, and hearing of, of that experience. Um, and, and then, you know, I had another week in quarantine, which ended this past week, uh, only to get a phone call on strong from my sister in the evening, frantic and screaming and and, and then one of our ministers who were with her at the time, um, my niece perished, uh, my, my, my sister's daughter. Um, and, you know, I'm very close to my nieces and nephews. And my sister, you know, came to her, her, her bedroom, her daughter's bedroom, 26-year-old, beautiful young lady in the prime of life, Armstrong, just finished college and, you know, working in the fashion industry. And there she was, laid out unresponsive. And now I have that, you know, to compound what I'm what I'm dealing with personally recovering and then trying to help my sister walk through, you know, this 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 sudden loss. And then of course, you know, the rest of the family knowing. Uh, I will tell you, Armstrong, this has been one of the most trying times of, of my life. And I have drawn great strength from my faith. And even with my sister Armstrong, because you know, it was just two evenings ago and, and, you know, we were back and forth on, on the phone. She was asking me what to do. The police had to come. Her, her husband, who's a retired police officer, was trying to minister CPR, but it just wasn't working. And then after all of the screaming and the crying and everything, my sister gets back on the phone with me and she says, amazingly, amazing shift. She says, I'm good. I'm all right. God is still good. God is still in control. My faith is intact. Now she's ministering to me. I'm thinking of how to comfort her. And now she has, within the space of an hour, Armstrong, comes to this place where her faith was shaken, but her faith became the anchor 
of her soul. They did not see any of the signs. They didn't see any of the signs of their daughter with the virus? No, no, it wasn't COVID. Uh, She was born with a heart problem. And, you know, she was monitored, being monitored, and she was doing fine, leading a full life with medication. But it was definitely related, related to her heart problem. There's always something for us to learn. And obviously, there are lessons that you take away, not only for yourself, but to share with the world. What, what are those lessons? You know, people will ask, where is God in all of this? And that's where you have to be convinced of the nature of God and God's immutability, his unchangeability. God is love, Armstrong. God is life. God is light. God is goodness. And, you know, we often say it to the point of cliche, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. But if you truly believe that and embrace that, then you cannot blame God as the source of all of this death and destruction because we are made in the image of God, every human being. And throughout the scripture, God upholds that image as a reason for value, worth, dignity, and respect. And that's unearned value. Without our education, our, our financial status, our, you know, our family tree, without any of that, from the time that we come into this world, Armstrong, from the moment of conception, we have dignity, we have worth, we have value, unearned, given to us by God. So that God would not come and destroy so brutally so violently, so many lives and so many people. So if we want to know where is God, God is good. So wherever the good is that's in all of this, the people who are sacrificing their lives on the front line, the people who are using their restaurants to prepare food, to bring to nurses at hospitals, the people who are getting involved in testing, the people who are leaving where they are to come to New York City and other epicenters of this of this virus to, to give their gifts, their talents and abilities, the people who are doing things Armstrong, there is God's goodness. Jesus said something very powerful in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. He said, I was in prison. You visited me. So Jesus positions himself where the need is and where the need is. And people are meeting those needs because we become the eyes, the ears, the mouth, the the feet, the heart of God. And where you see those needs being met, that's where you find goodness. That's where you find God. And I will tell you, the people that I've spoken to on the front lines, Armstrong, they talk about the the goodness of humanity that they've witnessed in the face of death, despair, and, and, and brokenness. Pastor, when this is finally over, how will you change in terms of your interactions, social distancing, and with all the other recommendations when you finally return to some, some degree of normalcy? Nor, you know, it's going to be a new normal. We're not going to be the same. Crisis like this, events like this change us fundamentally in ways that we don't go back. You take my sister. There's a, there's a time, Armstrong, that, you know, getting a call like that from her, I would have jumped in my car, drove right to her house, just a hugger, just a consoler. But I couldn't. 
I could not do it because I was on quarantine. And I didn't want to put her and her family in a position. So that that distance that we're feeling, Armstrong, I think we're going to be so happy to be able to hug someone, to embrace someone. You know, we are we are social beings. That's the way God designed us. So we need touch. We need expressions of, of, of love and intimacy, you know, whether it's parent to, to child, child to parents, between siblings, bet- the intimacy between, you know, married couples. You know, we are designed for that type of interaction, Armstrong. And, and, and you take the church, you know, the church is in the Greek is called the ecclesia, the gathering, you know, uh, so we're about gathering people. We're about creating community. And the very thing that we were designed to do, we're prohibited from doing. The very thing that we are to experience as human people, as human beings, we're prohibited from doing. My nieces, we have to plan a funeral, but we have to attend at gravesite. We can't do it in the church. We can't do it in a funeral home. We cannot have gatherings of people. That's a tough thing. There is a psychological and emotional scar that is left upon the world, but especially the United States, because we are a free and open society. And to have that freedom stripped from us the way it has been, all right, it's going to leave a mark on us. I think that we're going to be more grateful for our relationships. I think we're going to be more empathetic and compassionate. I think that it's going to force us to think about what's valuable because this is more than a 9-11 fall of two towers and loss of thousands of lives. There was a time, Armstrong, where we thought about the world as being so big that there are places on this planet that were not touched by, by human beings. But when you look at the spread of this disease, when you look at this pandemic as it has covered the globe, the world has shrunk, Armstrong. There are no longer those special places that are out of reach. You know, where do you go? There is nowhere to go to escape anymore, Armstrong. The global village has truly become a village. Pastor Bernard, I I tell you, it's the most riveting conversation I've had since the COVID-19 era. You've really humbled me and... um, I'm thankful for this Sunday conversation. I'm thankful for your time for because this is your testimony. You got a testimony, and you just had to tell somebody. And I appreciate your telling our audience. And thank you so much for joining us. And you and so many others in the world are in our prayers. And and those that have no idea that they have COVID-19 and someday will go through the same. We just gotta pray, ye for one another that we may all be healed in these unknown and unrecognizable days that are upon the land. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Strongcast. 